The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A young girl experiences a terrifying event that will have you thinking twice about going number two. And then we travel to Brazil to take a look at a bizarre cult that believed the world is becoming too populated. And this overpopulation will eventually lead to the destruction of all mankind. And while some people may believe that that is true, this cult came up with a novel way to fight overpopulation. Chicken pot pies. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. You're like, wow, what's this episode about? I have no idea. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. We got a lot of stuff to cover today, so let's go ahead and get started right off the bat. Running into Dead Rabbit Radio Command, the chicken pot pie in each hand. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for Perry Stratner. Woohoo, yeah, we! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> look at him eat those chicken pot pies. Look at him go, whoa! You really like those chicken pot pies, don't you, Perry? Perry, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. Perry shared their Spotify wrapped on their social media, letting everyone know how much they love Dead Rabbit Radio. If you can't support the show financially through Patreon or YouTube or anything like that, YouTube memberships, I, it's totally fine. It really, really is. Just do what Perry did. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. Get the word out. That really helps. Also, don't forget we have that monthly top 10 paranormal podcasts in Paranormality Magazine. They have a contest every month. You can vote in up to three times a month. That link is always in the show notes. Vote for us this month, and that really helps as well. It's another way to help the show grow. Perry, let's go ahead and get this party started. I'm going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to take that out of the garage. Drive us all the way down to a house in the suburbs. (laughs) Nice leisurely journey out to the suburbs. It looks like any other neighborhood you may travel through on any given day this might be a neighborhood you live in who knows sometimes the darkest of paranormal stories happen in the most unlikely of places so let's go (laughs) let's go ahead and take a look at this one this one we're about to meet this young woman she didn't give her real name we'll call her delilah And she said, you know, when I was a kid, I had experienced some paranormal phenomenon growing up. Kind of normal, paranormal stuff. It's so much so that she doesn't even really mention it. So I would assume strange knockings, um, scents, strange scents, smelling the cigar smoke in a room where no one has smoked a cigar in a very long time. Sound of someone walking upstairs and there's no one up there. General, like, very, very baseline paranormal stuff. But 
There's a reason why she doesn't really seem to mention any of that stuff, because what she is about to experience is so off-the-chart bonkers that, yeah, if you, <laughs> you want a list about the time you walked into a room and it was slightly cold. I walked into a room, it was five degrees colder than the rest of the house. Isn't that spooky? Because you would just be like, hey, listen, if you want to talk about ghosts, I got one story and one story only, and this is it. it I had other events, but they're not even worth mentioning because of what happened to me. Delilah said when she was a child growing up, one day she had to go to the bathroom. So she walks into the bathroom, and she sits down on the toilet, and all of a sudden she feels a sharp pain. In her left thigh. And she looks down. Like she immediately like feels the pain. And she looks down. And. She can clearly see. A human bite mark. And she can clearly see on her thigh. A human bite mark. I think. As short as that is, that might be one of the scariest paranormal stories. I don't want to say that we've ever covered on this show, but we've we've covered people possessed by demons and ripping dogs in half. I mean, it's not as scary as that. But it's up there. <laughs> it's definitely up there. And I, I would argue that sometimes... Sometimes a human bite is enough. Sometimes the bite from a ghost ghost mouth on your thigh. <laughs> like, Jason, are you really going to pontificate about this three-sentence story for 20 minutes? You're all checking your watch. You're like, oh, no. The episode's 40 minutes long, and he's only covering two stories. I'm not going to pontificate about it for too long because it's so simple. It's so simple, yet so terrifying. There's no explanation for it, and it really comes out of nowhere. Even for a child, I don't know how old she was. Pick your poison. What's creepier, a six-year-old getting bit on the thigh or a 19-year-old getting bit? <laughs> it's all terrifying, right? Imagine you walked in your, you wake in the middle of the night, your baby's screaming, and you go and you check on her in her crib, and you're like, what's the matter, Sally? Oh, come here, come here. And you look, and there's a fresh bite mark on that baby's thigh. Like, I mean, after you searched every inch of that house with a baseball bat and the other hand on your phone calling the police, there'd be no way to process that. That would be horrible. That would be horrible all around. I would argue that, like, maybe if you got bit in the shoulder or the neck, you're like, oh, I guess I'm a vampire now. You're like, I can't go to school tomorrow. I'm a vampire mom. Look at the bite on my neck. I think the location of it is scary. I think it's creepy. Too. We don't see a lot of ghost attacks on the inner thighs. Just, just to make that totally aware, it's a very illogical, bizarre place for any entity to attack. Bathroom, you feel super vulnerable. Like, you really couldn't have created a creepier story in basically three or four sentences. This was a very small post. It was put online by someone by the name Wish 3039 um, hey, it's the only ghost story you would ever need. You win if you're out at a cocktail party. You're like, just people don't talk about ghosts as much as you. They definitely don't do it at a cocktail party. They're like, hey, Jimmy, 
what phantasms from beyond the veil have you seen lately? <laughs> like, why are you, who brought this guy? Who brought this guy? I'm a waiter. The real waiter's knocked out. I'm pretending to be a waiter to collect more stories. I mean, like, I've had some crazy paranormal adventures. I've never gotten bitten, thankfully, right? I'm not like, oh, man, oh, why can't I be like Delilah? I've never been bitten by a ghost. And even if I was, I wouldn't be bitten on the inner thigh. And, and of course, the whole bathroom part makes it even worse. Because that is literally where we're our most vulnerable. Going to the bathroom. And you get attacked. It's just terrifying. It's almost like a new fear unlocked. The idea that at any point in your life, you can be sitting there, popping a squat, and then all of a sudden, ah! And you look down, there's a human bite mark on your inner thigh. How would you, how would you process that? Like, I would, I, I believe in the paranormal. <laughs> I feel like, oh, it was a ghost. It was some sort of ghost that bit me as I'm packing my bags and moving away. See you later, place. Never living there again. I would just leave. But if you're a kid living there, you can't be like, Mom, Dad, I just got bit by the boogeyman. Can we move to another home, please? <laughs> please, I know we owe money on this house and we're going to have to sell it at a loss, but we really don't want to get bit again. Terrifying story. Getting bit on the, getting bit on the toilet by a living human would be terrifying. <laughs> right? Usually I say the living human standing in your closet is creepier than the ghost in your closet in this case i don't i don't know they're both equally terrifying figure if i was sitting on a toilet and someone came in and they're like um 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 they're like going like they're gonna bite me i at least have a fighting chance i'm not just gonna sit there right i'm not just gonna sit there and be like hmm, i wonder what's gonna happen as this salivating man is moving towards ever so closely to my inner thigh mm. Uh, I can kick him in the face. I can beat him up. We can have a brawl in a stall. But if it's just a ghost biting me on the inner thigh. But, you know, I'm, I don't think Delilah did it saying I never pooped again. The end. I have a colostomy bag that I empty. No. So it's just a creepy story. It is one of those stories. I never expected to come across anything like this. So I definitely had to share it with you guys. One night when I was reading all this stuff, I go, oh, that is 100% Dead Rabbit Radio worthy. Going to the bathroom, feeling the pain, looking down and seeing a fresh bite mark, a human bite mark, deep into your thigh. So, you're, so you are welcome for that terrifying vision of what may happen to all of us at some point in our lives. Perry, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the world-famous Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind the suburban neighborhood. Fly us all the way out to Brazil. We're headed all the way out to Brazil. Specifically, we're headed to the state of Pernambuco. Pernambuco in Brazil. It's 2008, and we see some people walking down the street. There's three of them. It's a man and two women. And they're like, pot pies, everybody. Get your pot pies. Look at this. Mmm, delicious. Yummy, yummy, yummy. And they're like selling them. And people are like, oh, I've heard about your savory pot pies. They're like, yes, eat one, eat two, eat ten. It doesn't matter. Just pay us the money and enjoy your delicious meat. People are buying them, and they're like, mmm, mm, yummy, yummy. This is really good. Someone else buys them and goes, mm, it's a little salty for my taste, but, you know, 
Alt finishes it off, and we're watching these food vendors walk down the street. Pot pies. Pot pies, everybody. Buy a pot pie. People are lining up. These are very, very poor. We're going to find how popular these pot pies are in a second. It basically becomes a comedy as fast as they can sell these pot pies. But anyway, so this man and these two women walk down the street selling pot pies, and they walk up to us, and they go, Would you like a pot pie? Now pick a number between 1 and 10. If you picked a odd number, you go, nah, I'm good. Nah, I'm good. I don't need a pot pie. I'm good. But if you picked an even number, you already have the money out of your pocket. You're like giving it to the vendors. You're like, oh, dude, oh, I love pot pies. Yummy, yummy. Um, you're eating them up. It's all falling. <laughs> it's all falling on the odd people. They're like, ah, oh, get this stuff off of me. You're slobbering it down. It's spraying off in every direction. Evens eat the pies. Odds miss out on this delicious pot pie. Savory pot pie. We're going to meet this guy. His name is Jorge Beltrao. Oh, that's only the first part of his name. Let me finish it. Jorge Beltrao Negromonte de Silveria. He's a child of some Portuguese immigrants. Him and his family kind of moved back and forth between Brazil and Portugal over the years. Well, he didn't have the best home life. It doesn't always help when you're moving constantly. It also doesn't help when you murder somebody that might set you up for a couple failures later in life when you're a murderer. When he was 17, Jorge Jorge murdered Luciano Severnio da Silva. He got arrested for it. He goes to trial and, you know, the jury's looking at all the evidence, and they go, well, we don't actually think he murdered this dude. Jorge, we declare you not guilty. And Jorge's like, Jorge murdered, totally murdered this guy. It is, he should have gone to prison. He's like, "Woo, that was close. I almost went to prison for murdering that guy. And the jury's like, oh, what did you say? Did you just admit to it? He's like, no. But, but, jury, I hope you uh, have fun sleeping tonight, considering where this story's going. Eventually, he gets he gets acquitted due to lack of evidence, is how they find it. Later on in life, he decided that he needed some extra cash. He needed some extra cash to kind of get started on being being an adult. Starting his own life type of thing. So he ends up thinking, oh, you know what? My grandma has a lot of money. I could ask her for money. You should probably say no. Or I could kill her. I could kill my grandma and then just take the money. And since I killed that other guy and didn't go to jail due to lack of evidence, even though I clearly <laughs> clearly killed the man, I killed him out on the courtroom steps right before the trial, I'm going to do that. I'm going to kill my grandma and take a bunch of money. Well, luckily, he doesn't end up killing his grandma. He does does try. It's not because he gains a conscience. No, he does try to kill his grandmother. And he doesn't. He doesn't kill his grandmother. But he does steal $16,000 from her. And bounces. And he ends up using that sixteen grand to buy a house. Why the grandma did why the grandma didn't press charges, why the other family members didn't hunt him down and beat him to death, who knows? Who knows? But now he has his own house, he's living on his own, he's got a little bit of money set aside. 
And that's when he meets a woman named Isabel. Isabel, or she goes by Belle for short, she's from a Mormon family. Oh, you know, I, I, and I forgot, there was a bit of a time jump. So the story that we started off buying the pot pies was in 2008. We're going way, way back. We're going back decades. Because in 1984 is when Jorge and Belle got married. Sorry about that. We jumped back a couple decades. You're <laughs> Jason, this is this podcast? Can't you just edit? Can't you just change? Oh, okay, let me use the magic of editing. But we'll stop there, the Popeye story. We'll go back in time a couple decades. You're like, Jason, no, edit it and put it in front of that part. Whatever. Anyways, the point is, is that... Point is, is that... Now it's 1984. <laughs> you're like scratching your head. You're all eating a pot pie right now. You're like, yummy, yummy, yummy. Hmm? Looking at your calendar. In 1984, Jorge and Belle get married. And she's from a big Mormon family. She loves her family a lot. Big wedding. And at the wedding reception, Jorge, something happens. This dude's a bit of a hothead. <laughs> Almost killing your grandma wasn't a clue. Jorge's a bit of a hothead. He ends up pulling a knife out at the wedding reception and starts screaming out, I'm going to murder all of you. Me, me, Jorge, you already got away with murder. Each one of you, 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 you. I'm going to stab all of you. I'm going to cut you up. Cut your eyeballs out. He's just like flipping out. He threatens to murder everyone there. And if talk about, talk about embarrassing, right? We've always heard bad wedding stories. Basically, they get disowned from the family. Like her family, Belle's family's like, this guy's a lunatic. Um, he's probably he probably killed that person that he uh, was found not guilty for. Um, we don't want you guys hanging out with us. We don't want a murderer who threatened to murder us to hang out with us. You're not going to be able to come over for Thanksgiving anymore. Those things can already be a little hostile, and uh, he's a murderer. So they end up getting disowned from their family. But, you know, Jorge doesn't care about this stuff. He's a man with a plan. <laughs> the plan is murdering people. Jorge is just kind of living his life. Bell's along for the ride. Fast forward a couple of years. Jorge has a job at a gym. He's a gym teacher. He's like, come on, guys, 10 more push-ups. You can do it. There's knives. There's knives while you're doing the push-ups. He's like, do another push-up, or the knife will go into your sternum. You're like, ah. Jorge's like, I'm a convicted murderer, but I'm also have conviction that you guys will get buffed someday. They're like, what? Those words aren't connected. They just sound alike. He's all stabbing people. He's like, come on, no pain, no gain. You're all, ah bleeding out as you're running on the treadmill he's on a treadmill he's on a treadmill right behind you running towards you with a knife he's a gym teacher at like a, a public gym not like a middle school gym teacher but anyways he's a gym teacher and that's where he meets a 16 year old girl named bruna and she falls in love with him she's captivated by him she absolutely head over heels and he falls in love with her too and what you could figure was that, oh, so is Belle going to get jealous and he's is he going to murder Belle to stay with this younger girl? No. They end up becoming a thruple. Belle and Bruna and Jorge kind of form this little family. You got this dude, he's banging these two chicks. These two girls are totally cool with it. They're probably banging each other. It's like a thruple. 
But over time, Jorge begins to develop this psychotic view of the world. And again, like I said in the intro, some of you people may agree with this. Some of you may be like, Jorge, you are on the right track. I know a lot of people who share his beliefs. He starts talking to Belle and Bruna. I can't believe this. This world is so overpopulated. There's just too many people. Too many people. And I can only kill so many people in my lifetime. If I kill 10 people a year, I wouldn't even make a dent in this population crisis. The world... What a world, what a world. It's too many people. And he's like just walking back to the bedroom. He's stabbing a pillow. Stress relief. And Bruna and Bella are like, man, Jorge's really upset about this whole overpopulation thing. But what are you going to do, right? You're only three people. But that is when Jorge is visited by an angel. Huge feathery wings, flowing robes, angel appears to Jorge and says, Jorge, you've been chosen to be the one who will purify this land. And then a cherub showed up, one of those little fat baby angels. And he's like, Jorge, yes, if you don't if you don't trust this nine foot tall angel here. Looks like you walked right out of a Renaissance painting. You can surely trust a baby, a flying baby in diapers. Jorge, you've been chosen to purify the world. Only you and your small band can do it. Purify it. Jorge's like, dude, whoa, that was hella trippy. Saw a big old angel and a little baby angel who told me that it is my duty to purify this planet. So he forms a group called O Cartel. O Cartel, which apparently is Portuguese for the cartel. It's just these three people. But that's all he needs because he not only has himself and Belle and Bruna, he also has the power of God behind him. An angel and a cherub showed up, told him what was up. And so he tells him, he goes, we need to purify this world. But a process in this is we're not going to be able to kill three billion people as much as much as Jorge probably wanted to. He goes, we have to perform this purification ritual. We need to kill four people. Just four. One for each of the elements in the world. Earth, air, water, and fire. We kill them, but that's not enough. To purify the world, we have to purify them. And the way we purify the people we murder is we have to eat them. And by digesting their flesh and their muscle tissue, a little bit of fat for flavor, right? He's all yummy, yummy, yummy. I know, I know some of you already shut off the podcast. You're like, Jason has a terrible history of cannibalism stories. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. You're shutting it off. You're like, I'm going to go read a book. I'm going to go read Charlotte's Web. I'm going to go read a kid's book now. 
to purify my mind. He goes, we're going to purify our victims. We're going to kill them, and then we're going to eat them. And by us eating them, we're purifying their souls. And once we do this ritual, once we kill these four people, we will start this process that will end up curing the entire planet. And when they said there's a lot of people who agree with this, I didn't mean the cannibalism part. I mean, a lot of people go, the world's too overpopulated. We need a mass. They never use the word culling. They'll never say, well, we need to kill everybody. But they kind of imply that a lot of, a lot of, I've met a lot of people who kind of imply that we have too many people. Well, what should we do about that then? And they go, well, uh, you know. <laughs> there's a bunch of shotguns behind them. They have a tactical nuke, you know. He chose, Jorge said, since we're trying to stop overpopulation, what we need to do is we need to not only find four victims, they all have to be women. Because who overpopulates the world more than women? They're actually like pumping out babies. So we have to kill four women. We have to eat them. <laughs> he's all looking out the window. He's seeing these plump women walk by. He's like, yep. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try to limit the cannibalism jokes. He goes, I'm gonna, we got to eat women. And this is interesting, too. I don't know how many other cults do this. I know, like, the big cults, like Jonestown says, the federal government's after us. Or a lot of cults will be like, it's the New World Order that's coming to shut us down. Those are things that pretty much everyone is at least aware of. Even if you don't believe in the New World Order, I think you're aware of that terminology at this point. He said, he made up, well, in his mind it was real, but he basically made up a rival cult that was out to stop him. So it wasn't that the government was trying to stop him. It wasn't even that the devil was trying to stop him. He was telling these women, he goes, there's an opposing cartel called M. And they were a cartel, they were a rival group of impure women. He's not saying the government's out to stop him, which would be happening, right? He's going to murder a couple people. But there's actually a rival cult that knows of the plan. Knows that people have been sent down by God to start this purification process. He goes, we're going to be fighting against this cult called M. And it stands for impure women. So the way we're going to choose our victims, because we have to kill four people, but we just can't randomly start stabbing people outside of a KFC, and then drag their bodies into the back. You're putting on 11 herbs and spices. He goes, no, there's actually going to be this entity that follows us around. And when we pass by a particular woman, like, you know, women are people, men are people. We have our own follies and foibles, but some are impure. He goes, we'll be walking down the street, and when we pass one of these impure women, one of these chosen women that are going... To have to be sacrificed, the entity will say, that's the one. She's impure. She'll make a perfect sacrifice. After they killed, the, 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 the whole scheme of it all was after they ended up killing these four people, a portal to paradise would appear. And Bruna and Bell and Jorge could pass through the portal and they would ascend to a higher level of existence. And the world would be purified. Whether or not they're the only people who would survive, whether or not uh, it would be like just three billion people died the next day, 
We don't know. What's interesting about this case, I found out about it. It was posted online by someone going by the name Shaquille Bone Meal, which is very fitting for this story. They posted about it, and then when I started looking more into it, it's one of those stories that most of the sites are in Portuguese, and we're running through English translators. So I don't know if there's more details out there. Actually, that's an interesting. I do know there's a ton more details out there, and if you know Portuguese, you will be able to help us in the end, but I don't know Portuguese. I could not get a copy of a certain document, but we'll go into that in a second, which may answer some of these questions. Now we're in the year 2008. It's May 26, 2008. We're in the town of Olinda, Brazil. And that is when Jorge is walking down the street. That is when a young homeless woman named Jessica Camila de Silva Pereira, 17-year-old homeless woman, is out on the street. She's there with her one-year-old daughter, who we will call Sarah. And apparently, she was asked to come stay at Jorge's house. Belle and Bruna and Jorge are like, hey, you know, homelessness sucks. You don't need to be out here. Why don't you come back to our house? And you can stay for a while. Jessica's like, oh, no, that actually sounds really, really good. You know, it's hard enough to be homeless, but homeless with a one-year-old girl. I mean, geez, this is tough. Yeah, I'll stay at your house. So they all go back to Jorge's house. When she gets there, I don't know how long she was there for, an afternoon, a couple days, I'm not for sure, but they're back at the house, and she's just kind of hanging out, and Jorge walks up behind her and smashes her over the head with a heavy object, drags her to the bathroom, and then slits her throat. In the bathroom, they... Drain her completely of blood. Dismember her. And sliced up her skin. Skinned her. They put the skin in the fridge. And called it a day. Sarah is still alive. Sarah, this one-year-old girl, is still alive. She doesn't know where her mom's at. She's only one, though. She's not really super smart. She just notices her mom's gone. Well, she's trying to figure that out. Belle and Jorge and Bruno are in the kitchen and they're taking the skin out of the fridge and they're seasoning it with a little bit of salt and cumin. I think that's like a spice, right? They're seasoning it with salt and cumin and they're grilling it up. They're grilling it up, frying pan. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's gross, okay? I'm sorry. They're cooking Jessica's skin in the kitchen. And they're like, let's do this purification ritual. We're going to eat this flesh. This is the first step. We've taken our first victim. Eating it it up. Okay, this is the part. Listen, man. Listen, this is the part where you're either on for the rest of the episode or you're like, no, I'm good. And maybe I'm never coming back. They end up feeding some of Jessica to Sarah. Sarah doesn't know what it is, but she's eating her mom. I will give you guys this. Some of you guys may think I'm ruining it, but I think I'm just... Sarah does not die in this story. <laughs> like, oh, great, she doesn't die, but she's eating? She's a cannibal. <laughs> Jason, that's, that's ten times worse. Sarah does not die in this story. I will at least 
take that burden off of you. She does not die. She does eat her mom, but she does not die. So I don't want you to dread that coming up. Anyways, they end up taking the rest of Jessica's body parts and disposing of them in the backyard. They bury them, but they don't just... Because these guys are religious lunatics and they're murderers and they're cannibals. They end up burying Jessica's corpse, like she's all dismembered, in the shape of a cross. So they take like arms and hands and legs and calves and all that stuff and end up making like a cross underground and then cover it up. And they leave. They end up leaving the city of Olinda. And they take Sarah with them. So that happened in 2008. Now we're going to fast forward to February 2012. We're in the town of Garahuns. It's February 2012. Bella and Bruna. I don't know if Jorge was a part of this particular thing because it definitely would work better with women. Bell and Bruna, or just one of them, would walk around town with Sarah. Their modus operandi became this. They would approach a woman... And again, the entity would point out who they were supposed to kill. So once the entity said that woman's impure, they would approach the woman with this four-year-old, four or five-year-old girl at this point, Sarah in tow with them. And they'd say, hey, we need to hire a nanny for our daughter. Would you be willing to be a nanny? And the person, if they took the job, yeah, yeah, sure. I could use some extra cash. So meet us at our house and we'll show you the ropes and show you everything we need everything you'll need to do to take care of Sarah. So a woman would go back to that house and would be murdered, dismembered, drained of blood, and consumed. In February, it was a woman named Gazelli Helena da Silva, a 31-year-old woman. March of that same year, just a month later, they used the same scheme on Alexandra da Silva Falcoa. Falcoa? 20 years old. Now, both of these women, they did things a little bit differently. First time they just ate the skin. Now they go, we'll eat more of them. We're going to eat more of these people. But we can't eat a whole human. Among the three of us, that's just too much. And I have a great money-making scheme. What if, because we've got to eat these people. That's a, we can't bargain for that. We've got to eat these people. but. What if we make a little money on the side? They took these women and they would take they take all the skin off, throw that in the fridge. They would also take all the meat from the buttocks and the thighs and chop it up and make these little pot pies. These little savory pot pies. It also said they made quote unquote drumsticks. I don't I don't know if that means something differently in Portuguese. Like, I was thinking of, like, you had a bone with a bunch of meat on the end of it. Like, like a drumstick. You go to KFC, you're like, one of those. <laughs> you're like, I'm never going to KFC again, Jason. I can't. Every time you look at it, you're going to see human body parts. But you couldn't do that. You couldn't be walking. You'd look like Fred Flintstone if you were walking around with, like, a drumstick the size of a human thigh with a big piece of meat on the end of it so maybe it means something maybe our portuguese listeners the ones remaining they're like oh this is horrible jason maybe they know what it means when they make drumsticks but pot pies is what they were making and they were walking around (laughs) okay so this is the part i listen i do really feel bad 
for murder victims and people who are being eaten after they're dead. I think that goes without saying. I think I've earned that. I think I've earned that over the years. I'm obviously am not laughing at the victims themselves. The circumstances, however, and what they would do, this is kind of ingenious, right? I mean, it's disgusting and horrific and immoral. But how many murderers can say, yeah, I made a little money on this side, right? I mean, like, unless you're like a hitman. How many people can say, yeah, I killed all these people and I made money? They're walking around with all these pot pies. And they lived close to downtown or a business district because people were like, oh, the pot pies were always so warm. These were fresh pot pies. This woman would come in pretty regularly and say, hey, I need to buy my daughter some medicine and we don't have any money. I'm selling these pot pies to raise money. And people who ate them were like, wow, this is like a fresh pot pie. This is super delicious. They'd gobble it up however much they'd give her, a buck maybe or something like that, a buck a pot pie. Sounds like a deal. And at one point she walked into this doctor's office and everyone's in the waiting room. And she goes, guys, I'm just trying to raise some money. I need to get medicine for my daughter. Would you guys be willing to buy a pot pie? And everyone in the waiting room was like, you know what? Sure, I'll buy a pie. I mean, this is so they interviewed all these people in the newspaper afterwards. You're like, just sitting in the doctor's office one day and a reporter comes in and goes, hey, did you hear about that cannibal cult that was arrested the other day? And you're like, huh? And they're like, yeah, she was here. Did you ever eat a pot pie? Did you ever eat a pot pie? Did you happen to buy a pie? I mean, first of all, who's buying food in a doctor's office? It should raise alarm bells. For sure, but you're sitting there minding your business and a reporter comes in and goes, this is ground zero of the cannibal pot pie. (laughs) Luckily, you're in a doctor's office because you're starting to have a heart attack. It turns out that you ate people. They were putting people inside the pot pies and selling them at this doctor's office. And some people said, listen, the pot pies are super salty. Like I took a bite and I just threw it out. I I didn't like it. Other people are like, oh, no, they're <laughs> those popcorns are pretty good. What? They got arrested? Oh, no. Um, do you know anyone else who knows that recipe? And they're like, uh, they're human. <laughs> they're made out of people. Oh, man. Selling them at the doctor's office. Also, at one point, th- I'd be mad at this guy. I'd be mad at this guy. There was a salon on her route. There was a salon on the route she took selling these pot pies, and she'd come into the salon. And... She'd be like, does anyone want to buy a pot pie? Anyone? My my daughter's sick. We need money for the medicine. Would you like a pot pie? And sometimes people bought them, and sometimes people didn't like them. They were too salty. But one day she walked in there, and some guy was like, you know what? What a great, what a great thing. Raising money for your kid. And making delicious pot pies. I'm going to buy a pie. I'd be so mad. I'd be so mad at this guy. He goes, you know what? I'm feeling generous. I'm going to buy a pot pie for everybody who's in the salon right now. Everyone gets a pot pie. And he did. He bought a pot pie for everyone in the salon. And the reason why I'd be mad is that I will turn down. If someone was walking on the street and says, would you like to buy a pot pie? I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to buy it. But if someone bought me a pot pie, I'm going to eat it. 
So you think about how many people, there's one thing to be an, un, none of these people knew they were cannibals. None of these people knew they were eating human flesh. But I think that if someone, I don't think I'd be madder, at least if I bought the human flesh and found out later I ate a person, I could be like, well, that was my mistake for buying a pot pie, for buying meat off the street. I mean, that was really my mistake. But if someone bought me meat from the street, and I ate it, I would have been like, this is your fault. You understand? I'm eating him. I was like, you made me a ghoul. You turned me into a monster from beyond the grave. I'm eating him from the feet up. This is all your fault. I never would have become a ghoul. I never would have loved the taste of human flesh had you not bought me a pot pie. Because I will not buy one, but I will eat a free one. This is on you. Gulp. Swallow him up. Anyways. Oh, and then there is the guy who ended up buying 10 pies for himself. <laughs> you have to imagine he ate like four of these. He put them in the freezer. He bought 10 pies for himself. He eats four. He's like, oh, this is pretty good. I'll save the rest for, you know, I have one a day for lunch. And then he's watching the news. And it's like cannibal killers putting people in pot pies. And he's like, what do I do now? Do I throw them out? Oh, no. He realizes his frozen pot pies are, like, next to the anniversary slice of the wedding cake. He's like, oh, man, my wife's going to kill me. She's going to turn me into a pot pie. Oh, man. Better eat the evidence. Throws them all in the microwave. <laughs> like, if you dropped a bunch of you put ten pot pies, and you only ate four of them, and then you found out there were human remains and the rest of them, what do you do? Like, the logical answer is you throw them out. But the logical answer is to not buy pot pies from someone whose daughter is sick all the time. She's sick constantly. I don't know. It could be the pot pies. We go back to the story. So they killed a woman in February. They killed a woman in March. That last woman, Alexandra, who was killed in March, her family pretty much reports her missing right away. The police start investigating it. And what they do is they end up finding unusual purchases using her credit card and since they're looking for her anyways they go well let's just go out to this store let's go there and they went there and they looked at video footage and they don't see alexandra they see jorge bell and bruna on april 9th 2012 they are both arrested and in the house is those three and sarah who's now a five-year-old girl and they're talking to the girl and they go, so, like, what's going on here? They were, talking, they were talking to the adults, too, obviously. They were being investigated. But they go, Sarah, what's going on here? And she's, you know, fesses up. She didn't know what was going on at one. But at the age of five, she goes, her daddy, that's what she called Jorge. Because, you know, what does she know? As far as she knows, this is totally normal. She goes, my daddy killed a bunch of women. You might want to ask him more. You want to get more specifics from him. But he's definitely a murderer. And police are like, okay. I mean, like, that helped. That definitely helped. By the next day, the news gets out about this trio of serial killers who had kidnapped a kid, killed two or more women. It took them a while to figure out about the first victim. Because that was in a totally different place. It was in a totally different city. And, like, that's bad enough. And the word got out that they were taking human remains and putting them in pot pies and then selling them to residents around the neighborhood. 
So within a day, the people in that city went to Jorge's house. They were all in jail, and Sarah was probably like in a CPS type of organization, you know, child welfare place. Um, so they're all gone. The people in town descended, and they set the house on fire, burned it to the ground. Which I can only assume... I can only assume at least a few of those rioters said, you know what, we're going to burn this house down. Yeah, we're going to go right there and we're going to destroy it. Yeah, but first I'm going to go inside the house. I'm going to see, I'm going to see for myself how many pot pies they actually have. People are like, what? He's like, yes, I will check the freezer. I will check the fridge. I will find out if these delicious pot pies, I mean, we're going to burn them, right? But let's just see how many there are. People are trying to like sneak past. They're showing up with fire extinguishers. They're putting out the fire on the other side where no one can see them. They're sneaking in. <laughs> the mother load. Running out with armfuls of pot pies. They were all charged. They were all found guilty. Jorge got 71 years. Bruna got 71 years. And 10 months. And Bell got 68. That all happened in 2012. So, I mean, they're, they're not even close to getting out. The Bell, she would be out by what? Eight twenty eighty. I mean, unless they get paroled, you never know what these justice systems. Well, anyways, in prison, Jorge was shocker, right? Jorge was diagnosed with schizophrenia, untreated schizophrenia, and that explains a lot of these visions. So they do. They start giving him medicine for it, and they end up moving him out of the prison into the psych ward. And while he's there, with the help of hospital staff, he wrote a book that's in Portuguese. As far as I can tell, it's out of print, but even if I could get a copy of it, it's never been translated to English. It's in Portuguese. It's called. This sounds like a fascinating... The title itself sounds fascinating, considering who wrote it. It'd be even more bizarre. It's called Revelations of a Schizophrenic. And it describes his life up to the events of him being incarcerated in prison. It's basically his life story. And I'm thinking that's how they got some of these stories about like the visions of angels. And he might've revealed that to the police during the investigation. He goes, you can't arrest me. No cage can hold me. The angel will break me out. And they're like, what? Oh, this guy's nuts. He might've said that stuff to the police. Might've been revealed in his book. It's definitely something I would read if it was in English. Revelations of Schizophrenic. Also, apparently, because this is a pretty famous case in Brazil, from what I can understand, like people still kind of keep up with what's going on in Jorge's world. He is now an ovo-lacto-vegetarian, which I think means you can drink milk and eat eggs, but nothing else. <laughs> you can also eat like grains and wheats and nuts and stuff like that. We don't know what happened to Sarah. They never revealed her name, and that's fine. You know, obviously she needs to go on and have her own life. Fascinating story. When I was reading it, it's funny because I was thinking of a couple different ways to end this episode. Like, what was my takeaway? One, and I'll kind of just go through them because I didn't settle on one. We'll wrap it up like this. The first one, I'll be honest, the first one might come off as a little crass. And I don't believe it's true. But let's put on our conspiracy caps for a second. I don't believe that these guys were right. I don't believe that their ritual was actually going to purify the world. But you got to figure, in the long history of lunatics who have had these visions from beyond, 
and then they do unspeakable things. Say, so I got to do these things, or the world's going to end. In the back of my head, I think one of them's probably right. Like one of them, throughout the whole history of mankind, you might have had a cult with a religious leader who was actually right. He's like, listen, man, things are going to get really, really bad really, really quick unless we kill four people. We got to kill four people before the stroke of midnight. <laughs> and I waited till 1132 to tell you about this. Sorry, guys. We only got 28 minutes to figure this out. We got to kill four people before the clock strikes midnight or things are just going to devolve into chaos and madness. And they don't, right? They kill three people and the cops come in and they're like, put that knife down, sir. And he's like, no, but you don't understand. I'm doing this for all of humanity. I said put it down, but... <laughs> and then the cops are like, well, we did it. We shot... <laughs> There's three other bodies on the ground. They had to stop to grab a Dunkin' Donuts coffee before they showed up. And they're like, we did it, sir. We did it. We stopped this cult before they killed that fourth person. That was close. Hey, I want to know, just for the police records, what day is it? And the guy looks at his watch and he goes, well, sir, it's September 11th, 2001. It's 12.01, September 11th. And the police is like, ah, yes, another cult leader blown away. And he puts his gun in his holster. Like one of these groups may have been right at some point. They may have said, we have to stop this massive catastrophe. we got to do this horrible thing. And then they get arrested or blown up or they just disintegrate because cults are kind of hard to keep. You have too many members and all the moving parts and you have power plays and stuff like that. And the original vision of it is destroyed. The original prophet is excommunicated or murdered or whatever. And the very thing they wanted to stop didn't get stopped. They actually were given a legit vision of the future. I wonder how often that happens. I would say at least once. At least once. In the course of human history. I would not say it's never happened. I wouldn't say that every single lunatic who has a vision of what is coming down the pipe is wrong. It's like that woman yesterday with the talking cup. We had that episode yesterday about the talking cup. I said, what if she actually had this ability to see evil in people? And what, I'm, these guys, I'm not including them. Because this guy was a diagnosed schizophrenic, right? When he, he's like, oh, that, that kind of makes sense. I was totally crazy. I'm not saying this particular group. But it did make me think when I was reading the story. They said, we got to purify the world. And they don't. Something goes wrong with the ritual. Which is good, right? That would have been this other woman murdered and eaten but i think about other some other cult out there at some point they may have been right and they were trying to right a wrong they were trying to fix something and they failed at their mission and then the world like you can measure you can go the world's a lot different after this there was some guy a long time ago had this vision of the library of alexandria burning He's like, we have to perform this sacrifice. We have to do these rituals. Otherwise, I see all of knowledge being destroyed. And they fail at their task. And eventually, the barbarians do come in and set the library on fire. Something like that. Where they did have foreknowledge of the event. And they knew what they could have done. 
to stop it, not militarily or through policy, but some sort of mystical ritual could have prevented a disaster. They failed to either perform the ritual or do it correctly, and then the disaster happened. I wonder how often that happens. I think once, at least once. I think most people who have these visions, they're nuts. Most people who... I won't, most people who have visions aren't nuts, but I'm saying there's an easy, it's that gray line, right? There are people who see the future. There are people who can predict things. And then there are people who are actually slaves to their mental illness. And I don't believe that someone who is like a hardcore schizophrenic is actually talking to God. I think that's a, a um, side effect of that mental illness. And then they go off and they murder a bunch of people. I'm not saying, well, maybe that guy was right. It's interesting because we do believe in the world of paranormal. We do believe in precognition. We do believe in people able to contact spirits and to know the future. And you figure at some point in human history, at least one of those truly gifted people was told a mystical secret and they formed a group to try to prevent a disaster and they failed at it. And that disaster happened. That, that's all I'm saying. Like, out of the whole scope of... That's a pretty safe bet right out of the whole scope of human history. It's happened one time. I just think that's an interesting concept. The other one, it's not as interesting. I probably should have told this one first. You're, Jason, you can edit it. You can put it in the beginning. You can put it before that one. I looked up, is it possible... This is an interesting question. We'll end on this. Is it possible to be a cannibal and a vegetarian? And the... Kind of consensus answer I found on multiple websites on cannibalfetish.com and eatyourflesh.net when I was looking around. When I looked around, could you be a cannibal and a vegetarian? The answer generally was yes. For one reason, because if you, they go, it all comes down to consent. If you say, when I die, I want to be eaten, or while I'm alive, I want to be eaten, you're giving consent to it. A chicken can't consent, a hog can't consent, a cow, a turkey, all that stuff. It's cruel, and they have no choice in the matter. They go, but if a human says, I want to be devoured, I give you permission to eat me, and you are a vegetarian, and you eat them, then you are still a vegetarian. I will argue you're also now a cannibal, right? You can go, ah, oh, I didn't break my vegetarian streak. True. But you did eat human flesh. I think that it might be better just to not be vegetarian and eat meat than to be a vegetarian and eat human flesh. But that was an interesting question. When I saw that he was a vegetarian now, it turns out a lot of people believe that if you devour humans, as long as they consent to it, you can still be a vegetarian. Yeah, I probably should have done that one first. That, one, that one's less of a compelling ending. But I think both of those, those are two things I was thinking about as I was processing this story. Can a vegetarian still be a vegetarian if they eat a person? And what if at some point in human history, one of these guys was right and they failed? And that's why we find the world in such a state as it is in today. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.